I don't know if that's, uh, if that's pressure to, uh, to fill 45 minutes to an hour, or if that's limitation. But either way, I, I guess I've got to do it since he prayed for it. The Holy Spirit was praying for you, brother, and groans that you can't understand because you don't know how to pray as you ought. I don't know if he's praying for an hour and a half or he's praying for 20 minutes. Some of you are praying for 20 minutes. So, I don't know if y'all got that. That was probably over the heads of some. That's okay. Thank you. Glad, glad you enjoyed it. So, it hit me this past week and uh, has continually hit me since then that how much of, how much of life we spend preparing for and, uh, and getting into things like, for instance, some of you uh, are, uh, have bought new cars recently. You, you, you planned for it. You tried to figure out what to do with your old car. <clears throat> you have successfully come up with a plan, and then you accomplished it. Now you're driving these new cars, and it's a beautiful thing. Am I right? Say, oh, yeah. Yeah, a number of you are driving new cars. Uh, some of you have been working on buying homes, and some of you still are, by the way, working on getting homes right now. You're looking, you're in the process, and you, you think about it. You've been living in a temporary home, and you, you plan for a long time, and you, you're saving money maybe, and you're looking around, you're looking at your budget, and you're realizing, I can't afford it, and, but I'm going to do it anyway. And then you, you ultimately, you, you buy the home, and you move in, and you go, man, this is, this is it. It's so awesome. Right? Some of you are in your new homes. You say, oh, yeah, to that? Yeah. yeah. A few of you are, oh, yeah, and on that one. Uh, and, and some of you are planning to get married. Five of us couples did a little premarital counseling, got plans for marriage. That's happening. You're working on that. And then when you get married, it's just like, yeah, finally we've arrived. But there's something also in our culture that I've noticed on all of those and other things, by the way, some of you just, you know, your, your goals are small or you're just looking to a good meal away from the house and away from kids is like, oh, God, here we are, right? <laughs> uh, we all have these goals, but, but consistently in our culture, just hit me this week that all of us here in the United States, in, in the South, where we are right now, whatever, I, don't, I can't speak for anybody else or anywhere else than where I am. But that, that those things are, we work for them, so we get them. And, and it, it involves us working hard to get those, get those things. And then when we get them, we enjoy them. But then the, the enjoyment fades, even in marriages, right? So many marriages break up because what Gary uh, Chapman calls the tingles, the tingles go away, that in love feeling goes away, and you think, oh, I made a mistake or something's not right. We, we don't have the idea or the concept of things lasting anymore. And so we, we start looking for something else. And we, we search all the time for something else to kind of bring us a little bit of joy, happiness, excitement, whatever. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's okay. I mean, it's who we are. But what's not okay for us, and I'm starting to realize that, we, that maybe the church has done this. Not the gathering place per se. I'm saying Christians as a whole, the American church. Maybe we've done this, that we've, we've 
taken that, that way of doing life and we've applied it to Christianity, to our relationship with God, that to, to our salvation. You know, we finally got our salvation. It was a good thing. And, you know, then we've, we've applied it. We've, we've, and then all of a sudden it starts to wear down. You know, we, we don't have that in love feeling anymore. And, and I think in some ways, because our expectations have been so low, that when, when, the, when that feeling starts to go away, we, we're looking for the next feeling. So some of us have, within the, within the church, have made that uh, feeling come back by changing churches. We'll just we'll go find a church that's doing it better or different, or, or we, we find friend, Christian friends that are in another church, and we go to that place because our friends are there. And I think what's happened is, subtly and, un- and unconsciously, we've traded all that God has for us that he talks about in Scripture. This beautiful, ongoing experience with, with God, we've traded it for all these temporary things that bring these feelings for a few moments, and then they go away. Are y'all with me? Does that make sense? Am I communicating that clearly enough? So that thought hit me this week, and boy, the more I think about it, the more I realize that that really is a, a huge issue, and I don't want it to be an issue for us, especially as we talk about what's going on here in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we see the, the church in its purest form. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. It's pure. These people prayed for it. They waited for it. The Holy Spirit, through Jesus, gave them a command to stay in Jerusalem, to wait on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes, fills the apostles. The apostles see the Holy Spirit. They experience the Holy Spirit in powerful uh, manifestations and people so much so that people around them are drawn to them. And God draws them through to, to the town where they are, and they have this experience of the Holy Spirit that's just blowing everybody's mind. So for the disciples, they, they see they see tongues of fire descending on each one, and then they begin to speak in languages that they don't understand. Wondering, you know, I'm sure wondering what's going on, and then the people come gathering around hearing what's going on, and, and though a few of them tried to explain it away, they couldn't because they were hearing the message in their own language. All these different languages were were coming together and hearing this message in their own language. They were experiencing something they could not understand or could not uh, make happen. It was the Holy Spirit. And, and they were cut, and Peter stands up to preach, the most unlikely of all people, stands up to preach, shares this awesome message that cuts everyone to the hearts. So the Holy Spirit's working in the message. He's working in the heart. He's putting all this stuff together, and then they believe, and they repent and are baptized, and they receive the Holy Spirit. So 3,000-plus souls are, are saved and receive the Holy Spirit that day. And then all of a sudden, life changes, right? This is all common to us, okay? We've had these kinds of experiences where we've had, we've had you know, all these experiences we just talked about, and, and church can be one of those where the Holy Spirit comes into our life, and we just, we begin to experience the goodness of the Holy Spirit. And, and, but the church moves on past that first day and past that first moment. And, and they begin to devote themselves that, together in community, begin to devote themselves to give constant attention to some things, to 
the apostles' teaching, the word of God that, that the apostles were, were preaching and giving to them. They were hearing that and committed to that and, and wanted to hear more and more of it. And you felt that way when you were first saved. You want more and more of the word of God, and that's, that's the Holy Spirit does that in us. And, and then they, you know, they were devoted together to be together, and you, you had that experience of coming into a body of believers and feeling connected and the Holy Spirit drawing you to that. And, and then they, not only were they committed to the apostles' teaching, but they were com- committed to koinonia, to doing life together with other believers in a way that they shared a common purpose, and they, their, their, their goal was to connect this may be different for us. Their goal was to connect with what the Holy Spirit was doing. They had had this encounter with the Holy Spirit, and they were, were together seeking more of what the Holy Spirit would lead them to do. And I think for us, sometimes this is where it begins to, to pan off, where it moves, we, we get off our God's goal for us, and we start thinking, as soon as someone's saved and they find community with a body of believers, and when they get in that body of believers, they quit following the Holy Spirit because the body is not following the Holy Spirit. Instead, the body is following a leader, a pattern of doing church, a creative whatever, some program. And so they buy in. And you might have done that. You might have bought into some church and some way of doing church, some tra- list of traditions or a list of rules to follow. And, and I was the worst of the worst as far as taking people in who had had an authentic encounter with God and giving them church instead of, instead of helping them to find the Holy Spirit and keep following the Holy Spirit. Well, this pure church didn't do that. They're following the Holy Spirit, and they're moving with him. And so they, they begin to experience koinonia, which a lot of church never get to, churches never get to experience. That is a body of believers that are, that are filled with the Holy Spirit, surrendered to the Holy Spirit, at least to the degree that they're all on the same page going the same direction, feeling the same purpose, the same vision, the same drive toward that vision, and they're all in agreement and moving towards that. And then some expressions of that were that they were breaking bread together, eating with one another, which we talked about. What a great expression. Man, they, they love being together with other believers who are on the same page, sharing meals together. We do that all the time. Uh, in, you know, parts of people within the body... And then in the life groups, we have those expressions. And they were also, you know, remembering the, the, the sacrifice of Christ and the grace of Jesus that was given to them through his body broken and sharing the Lord's Supper together. And then they were praying together, praying prayers like they'd never prayed before, prayers that were united, again, because their hearts had been united. And so all of that was fueled by this constant commitment to, y'all with me? Say, oh, yeah. I'm going to tell you where where this goes. For them, it was all fueled by their constant commitment to the will of God as revealed to them by the Holy Spirit. They weren't just looking for a way to do church. A way way to do church just happened as a result of them watching and listening and praying and seeking the Holy Spirit together. That encounter that they had in the beginning, they wanted the rest of their lives to be an expression of that. And so we've talked about that. That is what koinonia is. That is what we want as far as fellowship in this body. We want that kind of experience where we are doing what, what John describes in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, where he says that if we walk in the light, which is the will of God, if we walk in the will of God as, as Jesus or the Holy Spirit is in the will of God, 
we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we will have fellowship with one another. We don't just want a fellowship where everybody sort of acts spiritual and we kind of come together and we all feel we've got a pretty good deal going on. Man, we want to be all walking with, surrendered to, committed to the Holy Spirit, ongoing for the rest of our lives. This is not something new or, or something temporary for us. Y'all with me? We want this to be more than just us buying a new car or, or you know, getting a new house or getting married. We want it to be more than all of that. We want it to be what God intended it for it to be, and that is that we would be a community that is filled with the Holy Spirit, which we are, but that's walking in the will of the Holy Spirit day to day, moment to moment, that we are pursuing and seeking and going after what the Holy Spirit would have us to, to experience. And here's what happens in the book of Acts. We're, we're going we're gonna to talk about this more today. But what's happening right here is that there's this commitment to the, to the Holy Spirit's leading, which ultimately leads to this, this sense of divine awe, uh, a, a respect that uh, a respect for and a fear to a certain degree, but not fear in the way that we normally think it. So respect is a better word. This respect for the will of God, the ongoing seeking of the will of God that, that leads us to actions that he would have us to do, that leads us to deeper awe, that leads us to more actions, that leads us to more awe, and this cycle of, of following the Holy Spirit and being blown away, literally, with a deeper respect for what his will is for our life. It's progressive. Some of you don't have, a, have a, much of a respect for the will of God in your life. Literally, I mean, be honest. You don't because you're not living it much. But it's because you haven't lived it much. <laughs> because if you would live it more, you would have more respect for God's will and, and the Holy Spirit's leadership in your life. And that would lead you to better experiences. That would lead you to more respect for the Holy Spirit. And that's the cycle that we want to see happening. Not a diminishing experience of awe, but an increasing experience of awe as we continue to walk in the light and walk in fellowship with one another. And that's what's going to make us, I believe, what God desires for us to be. At this time in the life of our church, the timing is right. We don't need to put these things off and wait till another day and say, well, one day we'll get that. There's this, this sermon series is, is timely and purposeful. God wants us to become a, a community that blesses now. He wants that now. So every one of us needs to consider where we are in relation to that as we continue to walk through the book of Acts. So let's go, let's read our passage. Hopefully this one verse that we've been reading and studying will mean a lot to you as I read it in one second. And then we'll move on uh, and, and, and uh, continue our study in the book of Acts. All right, so here's what he says. Today we'll read verse 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 
and all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to read a quote by Rufus Jones. I'm reading this book called Called to Community. And this quote just kind of summarizes, where, again, reminds us of where we're going in this study. He's, this, Rufus was a Quaker historian and theologian, uh, 1800s. Great word, though. Listen to it. He says, the primary function of a church, if it is to be the continuing body of Christ in the world, is to raise out of its secular drift and to give reality to the eternal here in the midst of time. When it ceases to bear witness to the real presence of our eternal reality operating in and upon our lives, its race is run. It has missed its mission. Should be missed. It has missed its mission. I mean, I'm so in so agreement with where we are, what, what he's saying here and what we're experiencing and what God has for us. He says it well. We missed our mission. If we quit being a representative of the divine, a representative of God, that people can see God in us. If, if people can see us in us, we, we've missed it. If they can see a, a good thing in our desire, that rather than desiring God as a result of what they see, we've missed it. We need to see the real presence of God operating in and upon our lives. And that's what's happening in the book of Acts. When the believers of Pentecost responded to the Holy Spirit in surrendering themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, which included the devotion to breaking and bread and prayer, a deep sense of awe resulted, not only in their lives, but in the lives of people around them. And we'll see that as, it, as this continues to unfold. So there's this beautiful cycle of what's happening in the book of Acts, of awe and action that we want to see the Holy Spirit do today. All right, so awe, what is that? Awe, by definition, is the profound respect or reverence for deity. It's always used in a way that describes a reaction to man's encounter with force. And the reactions can range from immediate terror to honor and respect. So, for instance, if a man faces a lion attack, the same word, awe or fear would be used. And that's why we translate it fear in a lot of the different versions of Scripture. It's immediate terror. If a lion comes, okay, I'm in immediate fear, right? I'm in awe in this way. It would be translated fear. But in this case, it's a response to the Holy Spirit's activity in their lives. And the response is, again, is a deeper degree of respect and obedience. So here's what it says. It says, first of all, that awe came upon every soul. It was a communal activity or a communal experience. This, this, their communal activity of devotion to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, which included breaking of bread and prayer, their commitment to all those things we've talked about the last four weeks, that devotion to, the ongoing, constant devotion to those things, 
caused the whole community to be in awe. Everybody recognized that the Holy Spirit was working in them. And they had this consuming respect for what the Holy Spirit was doing. Okay, and I'll say it again, church. Look, I told the group this morning for worship, or before we, the worship rehearsal this morning, I would love for us to continue to move in the Spirit this way. It, it takes a communal experience of the, the Holy Spirit for, for this kind of result to happen. I would love it, man. I, would, I can't, and, and I, I don't want to sound like I don't have faith. I have total faith in what God can do. I just know for me, I'm not committed enough to following the Holy Spirit every day. I'm not committed enough to finding his will and walking in his will. And how are we going to do that together as a community? I just don't know that it will ever happen while we're on the earth. But I'm not giving up on it. And I hope that you guys, that your heart desires that. That you desire to see what it would be like if the whole community of us would be in, have such a respect for the will of God that we would be determined to work past whatever hindrances Satan puts in front of us every day. It seems like every moment of every day, he puts something in the way of us getting the will of God into our hearts and, and walking in it once we know it, right? Am I the only one? I <laughs> know I'm not. It's so hard. But so easy. It's the thing that God wants to happen. And the only way it'll happen is progressively. It's not going to happen all of a sudden. This isn't going to be a moment where we make a decision and all of a sudden we're perfect at it. This surrendering to the will of God, surrendering to the, to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, especially as a community when we're waiting on each other to have these experiences. It's just so, it's, it's progressive. I think we're better than we used to be at that as a community. But then what happens when we get new people in the community? We've got to help them to find it too. So it's, it's a never-ending process. But this kind of awe is what led them to more action. When they had these encounters with the Holy Spirit and they began to, to do life together in Koinonia, all of them adjusting to the Holy Spirit, eating in each other's house, you know, uh, breaking bread together, uh, you know, praying together, encountering God together, praying together, experiencing God together, then it led to this deeper awe. They were having these encounters with God. So what happens as a result of that? More action. What kind of action? Look, first thing it says, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The, 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 the apostles were doing this, these miraculous signs. Now, why the apostles? Was it limited to the apostles? It is right here. But later on, we're going to find that other disciples of Christ uh, that were not apostles, those that walked with him, had these experiences. But here in the beginning, there, there's some reasons. First of all, the apostles had a greater awareness of what was going on. They were aware that everything that Jesus did in their presence when they were walking with him could also be done by the Holy Spirit because Jesus spent plenty of time with them. Remember all those upper room experiences, uh, upper room uh, teachings where he said, the Holy Spirit's coming and he's going to do what I won't be able to do because I'm going away. The Holy Spirit's going to continue to do and do it a better, in a better way what I've been doing, but he's going to do it in you. He said, now, he, now I'm with you, but he will be in you. And the things that, that, you, that I do, you will do. 
So the Holy Spirit's in them, but the, the apostles understood all that. They knew the teaching of Christ. They were looking for Christ's Jesus literally to be manifested through their life. Does that make sense? They had heard him. They had seen him. They had walked with him. They knew all that he could do, and they, it was quickly that they understood, okay, wait a minute. If he's living in us, and he said he's going to live through us, then that means we can do the things that he was doing. So when someone would come to the apostles who needed to be healed of a sickness, then the apostles were ready because they had a deeper understanding of the will of Jesus or the Holy Spirit so they could do it, and they, didn't, they just did it. You know, they had the faith because they knew by experience Jesus, the Jesus that was living in them, and they were, they were uh, performing miracles because the Holy Spirit was in them. But also, and don't miss this, this is, a, this is a key moment in the life of the church. All of those disciples, not just the apostles, but all of the disciples of Christ needed to know that they knew that they knew that the Holy Spirit actually was in them. And so how does the Holy Spirit, how does God manifest himself in a being to be able to, to show that he is present? Well, how did he do it with Jesus? Remember Peter's, uh, Peter's message that he preached to this same group of people at Pentecost? Within the context of his message, look at this particular passage in Acts 2.22, what Peter says. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. When he starts to describe him, he says, God attested him to you. God showed you that he is indeed the Son of God, the Messiah. He showed that to you. How did he do it? Through signs and miracles, right? They needed to, these new believers now, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, needed to know that this was an actual experience of God in them, that Jesus really did come into them, that the Holy Spirit really was in them, that that was possible. And, and so he shows, he reveals himself through the best possible, the, the only really at this point prepared men of God, and that was the apostles, by doing these miraculous signs. No, it's no don't be fooled into thinking that this is not that this, is not, that this is just some good feeling that we're experiencing together. Don't be fooled in thinking that we're just speaking gibberish, that people are making these things happen, that this is some kind of uh, facade, and we're drawing emotion out of people. Don't be fooled into that. Let me show you that this is the Holy Spirit. You know how? He's going to attest himself to you through the apostles because they're doing the things that Jesus did. And so the apostles were the ones that were ready for this. And so they experienced him in this way. They were also ready because, again, they had, they had already had enough experiences with God, obeying Jesus, doing the things he said, watching miracles happen in their own hands. They had seen it happen. So they were in constant respect already. They were at a deep, deep, deep level of respect that these new believers were not there yet. They respected the will of God, and they were willing to do things and risk things and try things that no one else was willing to do. 
So the apostles were at a, at a place. And I, I just want to say this in relation to that. I don't believe that these types of signs and wonders are limited to the apostles. I would say, you know, in, in the book of Acts, as, as we begin to review what's going on in the book, book of Acts, we already have the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit revealed himself through the apostles. Uh, he's, the, the apostles had spent time in preparation uh, by spending by spending three years with Jesus, they had and they were absolutely surrendered to the Holy Spirit's work in their lives. And if we will do that, if we will get to the point where we are absolutely surrendered to the Holy Spirit, then we're going to experience the same type of deep awe and respect for the Holy Spirit, the kind that causes us to put our wills on the back burner for the will of God. Literally, we will put our wills on the back burner so that we can walk in the wills of God, will of God, and we'll see God's exclusive activity here. Now, notice that they weren't pursuing miracles. The apostles were not going after miracles. They, they weren't, oh, that was great. Let's go see some more of those. They were going after the Holy Spirit. They were in awe and, in, and totally respected the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. They were fleshing that out. But it felt just like Jesus, only better. He was there. They recognized him, and they were walking in his will. And I believe we, can, we will see the same thing. Now, we already have. We've seen miracles in the context of this church. But we're going to see more of that as we continue to walk in a deeper sense of awe and respect. So these, these new believers were not all at the same level uh, regarding uh, understanding and surrender, awe and respect. But... There's another amazing action that was communal, and it resulted uh, from these people's level of awe, and, and it's, it's a deeper level than where we are, and, and I definitely want to challenge us in this as well. Look at it in verses 44 and 45 again. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Okay, a couple things to notice. All who believed were taking part in this way. These were community actions that continued to be defined by the Holy Spirit in the lives of everyone that was in the community. They had, uh, so all who believed, all of these brand new believers, they don't think that they were friends who had spent lots of time getting to know each other. These were people from every nation that had come together to Jerusalem. They, some of them knew each other, but this experience is what drew them together. It was the Holy Spirit that, that drew them together. But all who believed had all things, all things in common. And we already saw one expression of this earlier, and we see it again in this, in this passage, the sharing of meals and breaking of bread together in homes. Uh, but this is taking it to a different level. <laughs> we start talking about having everything that they possessed in common. So get that in your mind. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. They had all things in common. They were, the Holy Spirit was doing such a work in the, in the lives of these new believers, and they were all so open and surrendered in their sense of awe and respect for the Holy Spirit, that they, were, that they didn't even consider their possessions to be their own. 
Y'all with me, church? Y'all thinking about it? <laughs> Here's what I used to do with this, and I'm trying not to do with it. Is say, oh, yeah, okay, that, this must have been a cultural thing. Yeah, I'm sure there was some cultural stuff that's tied to that, but you know what? This, there's some reality here that I think we're explaining away that we need to not explain away as a church if we're going to listen to the Holy Spirit. And I'm convicted by this. I'm convicted by this that we need some expressions of this in the life of our body. That everything that I possess really belongs. Can, can we have the kind of experience together in community with the Holy Spirit that I can trust you with my stuff? Can, can we have the kind of experience together and respect for the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers in this body, some of which we know well and some of which we don't know that well, to be willing to say, I trust you with my stuff, all my stuff, that all the things that we have, we have in common. I believe if we can get to that place, we're going to see God do some things that he's never done before in churches around us in our day. And if between us we don't have enough stuff to take care of everybody in this body, which we do, we easily do, if we don't have enough stuff to take care of everybody in this body, then we sell our possessions. So I, it's not just a matter of do I have enough money in the bank because here's what we can all do. We can all say, well, I mean, my money's tied up, so you ain't going to get much of mine. I mean, whatever I have in the bank, you can, you know, I'll share some of that with you. This is not the, all right, take it to the next level. Y'all, let's do it, okay? Do it in your heart and your mind. Don't explain it away. Let's just work this thing together. Would you, would you be willing to sell your house, move into something smaller? in order to take care of, some, uh, of a family in the, in the body? Would you be willing to not have the car you have? Would you be willing to sell things to put money in the account of somebody else in the body? Now, I know, I know, I know, I know what you're feeling. You're feeling, you're feeling what I was feeling. Maybe, maybe that would be something I would do for family, but I'm not going to do it for church members. And I believe the more that we move toward, surrender to the Holy Spirit, the more that we're going to get a view of, of this kind of view that Scripture portrays here. And it portrays it throughout. This is not an a, a, a isolated verse. Church is, is family. This is not a club that we join. This is not an organization. We, we treat it like it is. Like, I'll join this organization for a little while, and then I'll go join another organization down the road with another name. And I, you know, we, we, it's, like, it's like a club, and we think that we're joining a club. We're missing the point, again, if, if we don't see the fact that the Holy Spirit is putting together a family of believers. You know, when Jesus talks about family, he's not talking about his mom and his brothers and sisters. He's talking about the people that are joining with him in doing the will of his Father, do you realize that? That Jesus talks about, he says, family to him are those people that are walking together with him in the will of his Father. He, he, Jesus didn't ask the disciples, come join a club. He said, walk with me in the will of the Father, and we will be united in a way that will 
transformed the world. And that's what happened with him. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 50. While he was speaking to them, uh, to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Our view of the family is not the view I want us to have in mind. Okay? I'm not talking about you trusting in your parents to take care of you or parents, as you're getting older, trusting your kids, hopefully, to take care of you. I'm talking about us depending on one another and seeing our possessions as something we share together in the context of a community that's brought together by the Holy Spirit, in a community that's doing koinonia together. To see each other as family. Now, I can tell you, neither one of my kids are ever going to live on the street unless they just want to. Maybe Jake. But as I've been thinking about this this past week, I've been thinking about all of you. And here's what I know. Man, not only are you not going to live on the street, I want, you, I want you to have what you need in life. And I really do feel like that God is doing that within the context of this body. I think there's some of you that would be willing to, if not all of you, that would be willing to even sell some of your possessions for the sake of this body. But we need to think about that because that is a... That is not a, that's not a something that any church can do. People can't do this outside of the Holy Spirit, filling them, trusting, uh, filling them with trust and respect for the Holy Spirit to take care of themselves. Some of us experience that a little bit in our marriages when we give and we don't expect and we don't get anything in return, right? When we're giving that way, that's the love of Christ, though, right? The Bible says you can't even love that way unless you're born of God and know God. That means you've walked in his will and come to know him by experience. This level of commitment to one another is something that I think the Lord would have us to have some expressions of within the context of our body. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some of you, let me just go there because I, I thought about it this week too. You know, if, if we start giving this way, if we make a commitment to this, then what about all those, well, two things. Number one, is we have allowed the culture to tell us that it's our responsibility as the body of Christ to take care of the world. That is not the biblical concept of uh, benevolence. Here's the biblical concept of benevolence. It's a community taking care of each other. And other people outside the community seeing that and being drawn to that and coming in to be a part. We, we are walking in the kingdom of God. Uh, we, we are walking with each other and taking care of one another as a family. And we're inviting everybody in the world to come be a part of this family. But what we've done is, and what makes us scared of this kind of community that's benevolent and giving is that we've been... Uh, it's been designated to us as our responsibility to, uh, to take care of the world. 
I mean, the, the world around us in this community uh, has, not, has not responded that way, but typically in a community like this, we would have people in the community coming to us and saying, hey, would you pay my light bill? Would you do my, uh, pay for my food? Would you pay for this and pay for that? And, and we are so overwhelmed by that and scared of that. We don't know how to respond to that. And so we, we pull away from being a community that blesses each other that way. Okay, we're, 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 not, we're not isolating ourselves. We're, we're not causing, building for ourselves a clique of people that don't invite community in. We are building a community as God defines it. And God is bringing people into the community when they see that we are a community that blesses one another. That's the picture that's happening in the book of Acts. It didn't say that they started a benevolent ministry where they were inviting the, the people in the town to come in and just eat their food and take their possessions. This, this is the thing that they did together in community. And what happened is the community outside was saying, man, there's something going on there that people don't do. Why are they doing that with one another? And they come in and they find out why. It's because the Holy Spirit wants to be in your life. The Holy Spirit comes into their life, and then we become a, a family of people who are continuing to grow and walk with one another. So what happens in the context of this passage? There's a lot of beautiful benefits that happen when the community of God begins to, to, be this, to show this kind of benevolence. But it's the benevolence of believers towards one another. And it draws people in. So look, just think of this. As long as you have family, there's a couple of things that are true. Number one, you have confidence that you have a place to eat and sleep, right? Most of you. <laughs> Some of you may have written that off too. But typically, as long as you have family, you have a place to eat and sleep. As long as you have family, you have confidence in that. You have confidence that if you fall on hard times, you're going to be provided for. You have an expectation uh, in family that you're going to have provision. The basic needs of your life are going to be provided for. You also have feelings of responsibility in, as you're part of the family. You, you, in family, you see your responsibility in, in the context of family. You're not just taking, but you also see your responsibility as, as giving. It's taking care of the needs of other people in the family. There's also a level of love and commitment within the context of family that leads to, to a, a level of self-sacrifice that you're not willing to do with others. And that's kind of the level we're talking about, the difference between what kind of self-sacrifice am I willing to give towards community, towards the outward community, and what level am I willing to give toward the inward community? Well, there's a level of self-sacrifice that we're willing to give in the context of family that we're not willing to give in the context of the world. Again, not to the world's isolation, not writing the world off, inviting the world in, right? And so there's this level of peace and community that happens within this kind of spirit-filled community. It's not a new teaching to think that that commitment to family, to commitment to Christ and to being with Christ and to walking with Christ would mean self-sacrifice. 
Matter of fact, Jesus makes it clear that living in community with him means renouncing all that you have. Jesus told the disciples how living in Christian community would change their perspectives on money and possessions. In Luke chapter 14, verse 33, he says this is one of three things that he says, and this is kind of a catch-all, but in reference to what it means to be his disciples, to come after him. Jesus said, uh, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Again, he's talking about being a disciple of his, walking with him, and not owning anything, but everything that I have, I, I share in common with, with the body of Christ. The disciples were surrendered to follow Jesus. I mean, obviously they were. They gave up their lives. They gave up their livelihoods and spent uh, those three years from the time they were invited to the death of Christ with Jesus. And, and they were in awe of what they were experiencing with him. And that awe of respect for Christ meant that they were willing to do anything that he asked them to do. Trusting him completely, putting their faith in him completely, and whatever he said would be the right thing, whatever he said would be the best thing for them. Listen to what Peter said in reference to, in Matthew chapter 19. They had a mixed up perspective, by the way, the disciples did, prior to this teaching of, of what being wealthy meant to having, having a lot of possessions. They thought that it meant being blessed of God if you had a lot of stuff. And so when the rich man... When they're told that the rich man would not enter the kingdom of heaven, man, they were like, wait a minute, what? And so this is what happens. Peter says this. He says in reply, see, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother our children, our lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So the disciples' response of giving up everything and following him is based on the awe that they felt for Christ and the relationship they had with him and as they walked with him and obeyed what he said. They just increased their degree of awe and they left everything to follow him. And it's, it's going to be a response based on awe for Christ and respect from him that we have in our own experiences that will allow us to begin to do life together in this way. It's a response to our trust in the Lord to provide for us the things that he promised. It's a response that sees the kingdom of God on the earth as even being more real than this world. It's realizing that we are walking in a kingdom that is that is within the world that we're living in. That what we see around us is not as real as the kingdom of God that will go on into eternity. That in the kingdom of God, this, is, this life, this whole life is a vapor. When we begin to see that and operate that, then we can risk, we can risk giving to community. We can risk taking whatever it is, realizing that, that God, whatever we have, is a gift from God, and we are just stewards of the things that he gives us. And when God puts people into our lives and into our community, when God brings people into this holy community by his leading, and they commit to be a part of this body, that immediately we have all things in common. That we're looking at one big bank account, one big 
stack of things to use and to be able to take care of together and, and uh, share uh, stewardship of. So I don't know what that's going to look like for us. I want you to help me flesh that out. Because I definitely don't want us to get out of this message and walk right back into what we've been walking in for our whole lives. I really believe that this one experience that we can have together in sharing all things in common and, and possessing each other's stuff and sharing our, sharing our things, whatever that expression is going to be for us is going to be one of the major ways that the community watching us is going to say they are disciples of Christ. That is, that is something's going on there. That's God-sized. People don't do that. They don't live in that kind of community with one another. We're going to be a community that blesses. I think the thing that's going to grab the eye of the people around us is when we begin to live in a way that shows that we are benevolent believers who have been transformed by the, by the Spirit of God. So one expression is this. I just, I'm just going to share something I thought of. may or may not be something we do. But I know that probably everybody in here, every family in here has a lawnmower. Or you don't, you need one. What if we had a shed full of tools that we all had a key to? You know, and, and it had all these tools in it. Like we've been doing the sheetrocking stuff. A lot of that stuff we bought for the church when we went down to, to uh, Baton Rouge in South Louisiana during the flood and, and started mudding out houses. We got tools. We possess those tools. Why would you go and buy tools for yourself when we got tools? That doesn't make sense, right? That's, that's taking money that somebody else has already spent that we possess and, and using it somewhere else. You know, save that money. Use it. You know, give it to, to our missionaries. Give it to the other works that God would have you to do in the community. But just having a tool a shed full of lawnmowers, weed eaters, uh, keeping it gassed up, you know, and sharing the responsibility of all of that. Uh, I know there's some of you in, this, in, in our group right now that you're a part of this body. You need that stuff. You don't have that stuff. Well, why go buy it? Don't go buy it. Use mine. You know what I'm saying? Those kinds of things. That's simple expressions. There are bigger expressions, obviously. They take more risk. When money's involved and you're paying somebody else's rent or you're paying somebody else's electric bill within the body, uh, then you do that. Right? And, then, and then there's no fear involved in that because we're all one body together. If somebody starts to take advantage of that, what do we do? That scripture tells us what to do. We go to that person privately and we say, you're taking advantage of this. You need to quit. If they don't, we go to them with other people. If they don't, then, then they are not a part of this body anymore, of this family anymore. That's biblical. Wonder why there's church discipline in Scripture? It's because there were people that were taking advantage of the body. Matter of fact, we're going to see a pretty severe advantage being taken, uh, you know, what, what, how God handles that in the verses to come. But we walk in the body together, and there's so many beautiful advantages of that. Look at what happens in this, and we'll close. Look at the results. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Again, they're still doing this. They're, they shared food together. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
Here's all the results that I believe the Lord wants to happen in our body. And here's what this, these expressions will bring. I'm confident of this. Number one, they had glad hearts. They had glad hearts. They weren't depressed. They weren't sorry they were giving. They were glad. They were excited. They were joyful. But they were also, they also had generous hearts. You know, the ones that were receiving were glad. The ones that were giving were glad. They were glad to give and glad to receive. But they were also generous, giving beyond what was necessary, not holding on to what they have and giving reluctantly and having it, have it pulled out of their hands. They were giving with generous hearts. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was doing this work in them. They were putting their trust in him in what he spoke for them and what he was leading them to do. And so they trusted for him to take care of their needs. It says also that they had this sincere praise to God. It resulted in praise to God. Ultimately, they had a deeper appreciation for God, knowing that that's where this was all coming from. So they weren't praising each other for the things that they were giving or receiving. They were praising God for that. But look at these last two things. I love this. Here's, here's becoming a community that blesses. As we walk as a community who's following the will of the Holy Spirit, walking in the light, then the koinonia does this. They had favor with all, with all people. All people. It means all people. Not just the people within the body. They had favor with all the people that were around them. These, th- their attitudes and spirits were changed in such a way that, that, that the people around them were feeling awesome about them. They had these great feelings of favor towards them. And then the, then the natural thing that happens is the fifth thing, that God started adding to their number daily. Day by day, daily, God was adding to their number those that were being saved. Okay, now here's the finished picture. Y'all still with me? The last point, finished picture. They weren't going away from the body. He was adding them to the body. You give somebody stuff who's not a part of the body, they take it and they go away with it. You, you, you uh, give stuff to people within the body, the family, and they see the joy and the generous hearts and the gladness and the praise of God and that that's resulting from you doing koinonia and family together, then they want to come into the body. And that's what, that's what we want to see. I think the church has mixed this up. We've messed it up. And so the result is we're doing a lot of giving that's not helping. And we've experienced it in all different levels at our church. But when we start living in community with one another, in koinonia, that includes having all things in common and whatever expressions God has for that for us, then I believe God's going to begin to, we're going to begin to see these same kinds of results. That we're going to have glad hearts, generous hearts, we're going we're gonna to praise God because we know where our resources come from because as we give, he replenishes. It's crazy. You can't outgive God. You know that. But he replenishes our supply and the people around us are blessed and they, we have favor with them because we're not living lives under anxiety and, and worrying. We're living in confidence that our, we are taken care of because our body is going to take care of us. This body is going to take care of us. And so the outside community says, I want to be a part of that. It's a big, big change for us. I'm excited to see where God's going to lead us, how that's going to flesh itself out. 
in the context of our community to see what the Lord's going to do with us. Now, obviously, one other expression is right here. There's a little silver plate on Sunday mornings. We never talk about money other than I try to remember to tell you to not forget to tithe or give. But whatever you give here is not an expression of a rule that was given to us in Malachi in the Old Testament. It says that you should bring in a tenth of all that you have, bring it into the storehouse. It's not a reflection of that. It's a reflection of your respect for the will of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what it is. <laughs> you know, when we're doing community together, this is, this is a way that we do a lot of things together already. We support our missionaries. We pay the bills. We pay the pastor. We, pay, we, we provide a church in Ruston and, we, and a church in East Tennessee, in Bulgaria, church planting. Uh, you know, we, we, we're doing this together. This is what we're committed to do together. It's also expressions that are beyond just our possessions. And some of the things that we possess that we're not willing to give is our time. We won't go there today, but there's time. It takes time to do a lot of the things that we do. And we need to, to know that we are committed to each other in the use of our time. So I'm going to pray for us today and ask you as we worship this morning, in closing, to just, to just have these thoughts in mind. But have them in mind not in a way that, well, those are cool thoughts, but ways that you would feel the Lord leading you to express these truths out. Father, we do have glad hearts and generous hearts here. Lord, that I know there's more that you want from us in response to this message. And so, God, I just, I don't pray for more money for, for our people. I don't pray for uh, shared possessions. What I pray for is a deeper respect for the Holy Spirit. The kind of respect that causes us to say yes to everything, whatever it is. Even if it is the giving away of our possessions. Jesus, you were our perfect example of not even having a place to lay your head, always giving, never expecting anything in return. And your Father took care of you. And so we need that same kind of trust. Put that in our hearts, supernaturally. I pray that your Spirit would overwhelm us with a deep sense of awe. And God, that you would just continue by your spirit to speak to us. Help us to know that nothing we possess is, is ours alone. Draw us into community together by your spirit in a way that we would share all things in common and begin to find expressions of that for our community. And we pray that you would give us favor with all men as we do that, and that you would add to our number those who are being saved. In Jesus' name.